0: not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin.
1: This is Dr. Dan. This year, of course, is an election year, and we always say it's the most important lecture uh, election of our our lives, but... In actuality, as the situation in our nation becomes worse and worse, I think each election becomes even more critical than the one prior. Uh, People have questioned whether or not our nation can continue to survive as it is. We're a divided nation, purposely divided, I might add, by people who uh, are not as interested in our survival as we are, but nevertheless... uh, we, who are conservative, believe that our Constitution or those four handwritten pages from 230 years ago is not a living, breathing document, but it sets out principles by which we are to govern ourselves, a limited federal government, and maximizing individual freedom. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is my favorite congressman. Now, he is my favorite congressman. Not only because he is my congressman, Congressman Mark Meadows from the 11th District of North Carolina, but because he is a solid, conservative congressman. I know him personally. I know he's a moral, upright individual. And it is really an honor for me not only to have him as my congressman, but also to have him as a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. So welcome, Congressman Mark Meadows to Freedom Forum Radio. Uh,
2: Dr. Dan, it's great to be with you, and thank you for always being a voice for freedom. And it is uh, just an honor and a pleasure to be with you and your guests today, and I look forward to talking about those things that are important to our country, our nation, and certainly our freedom.
1: All right. Well, Congressman Meadows, Mark, Whatever we want to call each other is fine because, look, you went to D.C. with the support and the blessing of the grassroots constituency in our district. Uh, We worked very hard to send you there, and like I said, we are very, very blessed to have you there. So with that in mind, what do you consider to be your most important accomplishments? This is your – you've had two terms. You will be running for your third term. The election is in November. So what, does, what stands out in your history in D.C.? What have you done uh, for our, our 11th district, and what have you done for our nation?
2: Well, there's been a, a few accomplishments in terms of the 11th district, specifically as we've, we've tried to make sure the role of government plays its limited role and not one that continues to come into uh, every aspect of our life, uh, Know, economically, things uh, are uh, uh, somewhat better, although still anemic uh, in western North Carolina. But the biggest accomplishment, I think, is is that people send people to Washington, D.C. As you mentioned, it was really you and many others, the listeners, that, that tune in uh, on a regular basis to, to uh, listen to the topics that you bring forward that were were part of the movement to send me to Washington in the first place. And what happens is people get there and all of a sudden they forget who sent them there and, and they start changing their allegiance. So we've tried to make sure that we not only voted the will of the people, but continue to listen to them on what's important. And so whether it's fighting uh, uh, the fiscal concerns or the government overreach, and, and I would say that, we're failing in some of those areas because we've seen the executive uh, overreach from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue really just reach in and go well beyond the constitutional mandate, uh, whether they're uh, enumerated powers or not. They're going well beyond that. And uh, and so we've been fighting back. As you know, we uh, got in a real battle, even with someone in my own party, uh because we weren't willing to stand up on behalf of the millions of Americans that I say are we the people. And so uh, last summer filed a, a motion to change our speakership, and indeed uh, that was was successful. Uh, but the jury is out on whether we're really going to you know, return the government back to its rightful owner, and, uh, and that is you and, and me and, and others like us who believe that you know, our, our freedoms are are worth preserving, but certainly uh, being encroached on each and every day.
1: You know, I was very, very proud of you uh, by getting rid of uh, Boehner as Speaker of the House. Uh, I know that you were instrumental in that. Uh, I think that took a lot of courage, and I know you paid a price. What kind of price did you pay for that?
2: Well, we've, we have paid a, a number of prices uh, Dan, I mean, it's been interesting because not only did we lose our chairmanship and got it back, but you know the ripple effects of some of those uh, issues are, are still being felt today. I mean, uh, the the it was truly the money support in Washington D.C. it was turned off within hours. Uh, you know, was shunned by a lot of my colleagues. You know, how dare you? Uh, you know. To challenge the leadership of our party uh, and so uh, the the price to pay in Washington DC might have been great but it, it pales in comparison to the sacrifice of our founding fathers and those military men and women who fight for uh, our freedoms each and every day it, it's uh, uh, you know as I look at it I think probably the biggest issue that that I still see today is is that we've we've got to get uh, the control of the legislative process back to its rightful owner. And so, uh, at times the ideas that you have maybe don't get looked at in as favorable way as, as perhaps they would if you were part of the establishment in DC. But, uh, you know, all in all, uh, I'm hopeful because of you and others like you that are listening in, uh, it, It's a critical time, and I believe that as we stand together, we'll be able to uh, make a, a big difference, not only in D.C., but on Main Street as well.
0: Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin.
1: Well, you brought up the subject before and and really... We are having a situation here where the executive branch is guilty of extreme overreach, at, to the point where, as far as I'm concerned, unconstitutionally so. With his executive orders, the omnibus, omnibus bill just gives him every bit of freedom whatsoever to spend whatever he wants, wherever he wants it. Uh, so m- my question to you, and, and what it really reflects on in the eyes of, of we the people, is that Congress— is not does not seem to have the backbone to stand up and say you are doing you are taking over what is our responsibility and we will not permit it anymore. Uh, there's got to be some way to do that.
2: Well, there, there has to be and, and many members in Congress. Uh, Dr. Dan, have this uh, backbone that is uh, like a peeled banana. Uh, you know, it, it may have form, it may be there, but, but certainly it's not very rigid. And uh, and so what happens is they may come home and they you know, pound their chest that they're going to stand up against the executive overreach. And then they go back and allow this very same thing to happen again and again. I'm on uh, uh, a task force that's uh, called restoring constitutional authority in the legislative branch. It, it's my, my primary focus on the task force. There's a number of others I could have been involved with. But really, when you, you get down to that, it, it's all about making sure that, that we are the ones that are passing laws, not the executive branch. Not if They don't set the spending priorities. We do. And yet, we're finding that that's not the case. I'll give you a prime example. Uh, in the 113th Congress, very first year that I served, there were 72 bills that actually went from the House to the Senate and were signed into law, 72. That same year, there was over 3,500 regulatory laws that got signed into to the federal registry. By the executive branch. Well, there's no way that you can have that proper balance if you're allowing the executive branch fiat to uh, legislate. Uh, and we've abdicated our position. So unless we're, we're really willing to take a strong stand, and sometimes that will come at great cost. Sometimes it comes at political cost. Uh, it, it's time that we do that. And and if we're not willing to do that as uh, as a conservative party, uh, then. Then we've lost our republic, again, and I think it's time that we we restore it. Because right now, this fourth branch of government, known as the regulatory state, is running a butt over our pro- private property rights, over our constitutional rights, and all the freedoms that were were guaranteed to us uh, in that founding document.
1: Well, Congressman Mark Meadows, uh, you've touched on one of the absolute worst criminal actions of that's going on right now in washington dc uh and i don't mean criminal in that sense i mean unconstitutional is probably better and that's where we have the tyranny of the bureaucracy uh full force uh, against the individual freedoms of, of citizens you and the problem is that these bureaucrats are completely untouchable we did not elect them we had nothing to do with appointing them. We cannot recall them. We cannot fight against them. Do you have any any idea what it takes if you are the victim of uh, regulatory excess? You have no means as an individual citizen to have you don 't have a prayer when it comes to fighting that. so you have this army of of bureaucrats. This is regulation without representation, as far as I am concerned. So how do we fight something like that?
2: Well, I think, you know, your point is is that we have to fight it not only uh, from a Washington, D.C. law standpoint, but we also have to defund some of these agencies that, that are being allowed to do that. And you can't do that in an omnibus. You have to actually do those separate appropriations bills like you were talking about, but we have to get serious. And, and uh, you know, when we continue to give them the funds to allow them to trample on our freedom, they're just going to do it more and more and more. That's what they're paid to do is, is to write uh, regulations and come in. And yet what we also find is is that those who start to fight back, you know, run into a real, real issue when they're fighting back because, uh, you know, the, the full force and power of those regulatory agencies will come down on them. And uh, we're getting small victories, uh, but but for me, it's all about getting rid of the, the, on the from the EPA standpoint, the and settlement. You get somebody that comes in, they'll pass a regulatory law, you get uh, some uh, group that will come in and sue uh, the federal government. And so, the, the federal government then settles the case, sets precedent for future cases, and it's this vicious cycle that continues over and over again to uh, erode uh, uh, our rights unless and, and we rein it back in. Uh, for me, it's one of the other things. There's, uh, your listeners may not be in tune with this. I know you are. Uh, Chevron deference. Uh, you know, there was a court case that says that if there's an ambiguity in a regulatory law, it allows the agency to determine what Congress's intent was. Well, that's not right. I mean, either either you allow Congress to determine the intent, or you refer it back to Congress. You don't let a, a government bureaucrat decide what uh, Congress meant when they passed a law. And we've got to, we've got to bring that back in.
1: You mentioned one of my favorite agencies, the EPA. I think anyone who can declare with a straight face that carbon dioxide is a poisonous gas obviously flunked uh, uh, biology in in high school or maybe middle school. Uh, The the EPA has almost single-handedly ruined our industry in this country. It has decimated a company's ability to... Uh, to make a living if they have anything to do, even close to uh, impacting on the environment.
2: Well, you're right. And what, what they've done is, is they've made a lot of us who, who love the outdoors and who want clean water and clean air, it, it makes us very resistant to even working with, with the appropriate agencies because what we see is them overreaching uh, their authority, uh, whether it's, it's the ambiguity of what a wetlands would be or, or uh, I, I had one on some property I had the other day where they said that it, it's a trout stream. Well, it's interesting. Uh, it, it is actually a ditch that had been made uh, within the last 25 years that only takes runoff from the road and now it is classified as a trout stream. Well, what that makes me do is not want to do any ditching or any, uh, you know, any planning ahead that allows any amount of water to get on my property for fear that now they're going to regulate it. And uh, you, know, you, you and I both know a number of horror stories that are out there as as what I would say an unconstitutional taking uh, by bureaucrats on, on lands that uh, are supposedly under their purview.
0: The direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin.
1: We understand that the the Veterans Administration hospitals are really outstanding when it comes to the treatment of veterans who have missing limbs. That kind of rehabilitative care is really very costly, time-consuming, and they do a fantastic job with that. But when it comes to everything else, um, most of these veterans would be better served if they had an access card exactly like you described, an access card that would allow them to go to local physicians, local hospitals. It saves all of that travel time. Some of these veterans are not Physically capable of making a five-hour round trip, and so essentially they've been cut off from care. But that this is all part of the entire medical issue, and of course, Obamacare has been one of the the main issues that we are all concerned about, not only as a physician but as also just as a citizen. I mean. The premiums are going up, the deductibles are horrendously high. I mean I have people coming in all the time and say, I have a five or ten thousand dollar deductible. There's no reason for me for me to even purchase an insurance policy. So what happened to the efforts to defund uh, this absolute abomination on, on our nation?
2: Well, as you know, I've been at the tip of the spear on trying to defund what I would think is one of the greatest encroachments on our, our uh, individual liberties in this Obamacare movement. Because it's really about nationalizing our health care. And when you control the health decisions of every American, you essentially control every American. And uh, uh, you're right. Uh, I'm on Obamacare. I'm uh, Members of Congress, actually have to go on obamacare uh contrary to popular belief and my premium uh have not only doubled but my deductible is so incredibly high that uh i would be better off just not to have insurance and just pay out of pocket i you know i uh you know we're we're paying just for my wife and i well over uh you know, twelve thousand dollars a year, and so when you look at that, uh, that goes a long ways. I'd rather work a deal with Doctor Dan and say, Doc, I'm going to pay you when I come in. Here's a check. Uh, it, it provides for a whole lot of uh, uh, of care uh, you know, uh, reimbursement when when you're able to take those premiums that are paying. and And the bad news is, it's not going to get any better. It's going to to go out uh, and, and be astronomical like with any government program it just continues to elevate go and go and go. Uh, I, the, I think for most of us in Washington DC, uh, the effort to get rid of Obamacare it will be restarted when someone other than uh, with the last name of Obama uh, is no longer in the White House but uh, we, we have made him, veto at one, but we've got to get real serious about attacking it at its roots and rip it up uh, once and for all and allow the, the private sector to, again, uh, make health care affordable. And I'm hopeful that we can do that.
1: Well, I'm sure that you know that certainly from my point of view, uh, free market health care is the best. We have an excellent example and, of course, in ophthalmology with the LASIK surgery. It started out at a hugely expensive operation, and as more and more people, uh, more and more physicians performed it, uh, well, the cost obviously came down because of competition. That's what the free market does. So for me, and I'm sure it's no secret to you, my plan for medical care would be a health savings account uh, to fund the day-to-day, every type of you know simple medical care, and then you need insurance to uh, cover the extraordinary expenses in the same vein that your you know your auto insurance policy doesn't pay to change your oil and your oil filter and your wiper blades, but it 's there in case you have a severe a severe accident and you need that kind of coverage well there's no reason why medical care should really be any different
2: well you're right, and, and what we've found uh... Dr. Dan, is, is that uh, really right now? A number of us are paying the premiums or subsidizing health care for a number of others that, uh, that don't pay. And so, as painful it is for some of your patients and certainly for you and I, you know, there are others who, who uh, think that it's wonderful because they're not having to, to pay it, but it makes us more reliant on the federal government. Uh, I'm with you on the health savings account. Uh, In fact, I've co-sponsored a bill that does exactly what you're talking about as a health savings account with a catastrophic insurance on the backside of it that, uh, you know, we would all be better off. And and then it brings it back to individual responsibility, too. You know, if, if I've got money there in a health savings account that I put into and And I'm managing, I'm going to try to make sure that I make the best purchase decisions for my health care instead of just saying, well, I don't care what it costs, you know, it's going to be paid for by the government or by the insurance company. It brings back in that personal responsibility that I know you and I both believe has been lacking in some areas.
1: Well, there's no question that that's really, you know, the coin of freedom, really has two sides. You have freedom of choice on one side, but you have personal responsibility on the other side. So unless you marry those two, you're really not going to be able to, to do that kind of thing. Uh, so you have to have personal responsibility, and we have very, very little of it. The more the government does for individuals, the more it gives to some individuals, to selected classes of individuals, uh, the less personal responsibility there is
2: well you 're right and when you, when you get that I mean it, it allows the government to decide not only who the winners and losers are but who who the the ones that will benefit from their policy generally uh, that is not. Given in an efficient manner, uh, you know, it, I I make the analogy. It's kind of like wearing a belt and suspenders. They have to figure for every contingency that they possibly can think. So the red tape gets big, you know, it, 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 they overdo it and in trying to figure out what that one person may or may not do and. And they, they just make it so unbelievably laborious when it comes to the regulatory compliance side of it that people want to give up. You know, doctors like you want to say, you know, I'm I'm tired of serving the community that I'm serving. Uh, it's not worth the hassle. I'm going going fishing or going hunting or, or going home.